The, the number one killer in the Western world, I think, is anxiety and stress. You think about it, it's, it's uh, you know, heart disease, hypertension, mental illness, um, uh, um, high blood pressure. All of it is connected to this idea that we are full of anxiety and that we are stressed out. Why are we stressed out? Well, as the, the, uh, the famous... Um, philosopher Randy Owen said, we are in a hurry to get things done. We rush and rush until life's no fun. All we got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Um, the, the Swahili term for, for, the, for the white man is mzunga. Now, do you know what the word mzunga means? It actually means the one who spins around. Evidently, when the Europeans made their way to East Africa, the, 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 the Swahili-speaking East Africans looked at these crazy white people and they said, that is a mazunga, and, and, and one who spins around. The Chinese joined two characters to form a single pictograph describing busyness. Those two characters are heart and killing. Heart killing is the description of busyness in Chinese. Why are we like that? Our worth is padlocked to what we do. I am worth something if I do something, so I must perform, I must do, or I am worthless. And Christian people are not exempt from this at all. In fact, maybe we're more guilty of it in some cases. And so... Uh, this is a, a massive problem. Off I go into the mazunga, spinning around. I must stay busy. I must perform. I must prove my worth. My busyness is my salvation. And the only trouble with this idea is that it's a lousy savior. Jesus says, no, stop being a mazunga. Instead, rest in me. And in today's talk, I hope to answer three questions. Number one, what does it mean to rest in God? Number two, what keeps me uh, from resting in God? And number three, how practically do I rest in God? So first of all, what does it mean to rest in God? What does it mean to rest in God? Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says this, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and, heavy, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The people who Jesus was talking to uh, had no rest for their souls because they were constantly pre uh, performing to earn their own salvation. They had to impress the religious leaders. They had to do all the right rituals. Life was about the hard work of impressing God and impressing other people. And Jesus says, no, faith is not supposed to be that way. Faith is not that way. Instead, come to me, link up with me is the actual terminology. You can't pull the cart on your own, Jesus is saying. Let's pull the cart together Rest for your soul, Jesus says, is achieved through trusting in me. You're not made to go through life like everything depends on you. Jesus says, let me carry the burdens of your soul instead. Now, 
I've got four kids. My, when my youngest one, Gemma, was three or four years old, she went through this season of incredible worry. She would freak out about everything. Someone sharpening the pencil. Bzzz, ah, someone's going to die. Someone's gonna, and she would start crying. We'd, we'd cross the street. She'd freak out. We'd be sitting at the dinner table, and, and Darby, my son, was in the bathroom. She wasn't at, Darby wasn't at the dinner table. Ah, she'd be freaking out about all kinds of stuff like this. And I remember one time, I just said, Gemma, come here, come here. And I just sat her on my lap. And I said to Gemma, I said, Gemma, look, it's not your job to worry about these things. It's daddy's job to take care of you and to make sure that everyone's safe. And I promise you, I will do my job so you don't have to worry I just said that to her over again. You don't have to worry. And I could feel, as I rocked her in my arms, I could feel the anxiety and the stress of the pressure that she was putting on her melt away into my strong arms. This is exactly the illustration of Jesus. We're supposed to say, okay, I'm going to rest in you, Jesus. I've got all the burdens of life, but I'm not going to carry those. I'm trusting you with those burdens, this is exactly what Jesus is promising here. I've got your guilt, says Jesus. I've got your shame. You don't have to let that crush you. You don't have to be constantly trying to impress other people to prove your worth by what you do. Rest happens when I get to a place where my worth as a human comes because I'm convinced that I am loved and accepted by God through Jesus. And as a result, I can breathe. To know that I am loved and forgiven is the key to being able to rest in God. Friends, embrace that truth and put your doubts and your skepticism on pause and believe it. It's okay. It's okay to believe this. I know in a room this size, there's probably some skeptics and some doubters here, and they're like, yeah, that whole Jesus thing, it's probably fiction, and the Bible is not worth trusting, and you have all those struggles. Trust me, I have all the same struggles, but it's okay to say, look, I'm not intended to bear these burdens. I'm giving them over to someone who loves me and I'm trusting him with my life. That's beautiful. That's life-giving. That's restful. And that's what God wants for you. So that's what does it mean to rest in God? Number two, what keeps me from resting in God? What keeps me from resting in God? If I'm not convinced that I am forgiven and loved, then I have to constantly prove my worth to God or to other people. And this type of prove-it living spins me into what I call the Mazunga cycle. And so let me explain it to you. Have you ever met somebody who, who, who always says, I've got no time? Yes, anybody like that? Just say that for me to help me know that you're awake. I've got no time. I've got no time, okay? We, we're just busy, right? And we, we, we're focused in on getting her done and doing our job and, and making sure we stay busy and pretty soon we have no time. I got no time. And then there's guilt involved, right? Because we're not able to care for the ones that we love. We're not able to do things that we want to do because we've got no time. And so that guilt morphs itself into pride because then what we start to do is we begin to look around and we begin to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. 
and we compare ourselves. And before long, we're, we're justifying our busyness and we're being, inflating ourselves with pride. And then the weight of busyness and the weight of pride weighs us down. And finally, we cycle out with this apathetic burst, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so then we just gratify ourselves with other selfish pleasures that we want and do whatever we want. And then we come up from that distracted lifestyle after a while and say, shoot, I'm wasting my life. I got to get busy. I got no time. And the cycle continues. I got no time. I'm better than you. I don't care. I got no time. I'm better than you. I don't care. And whenever we're stuck in that cycle or in any one of those cycles, we cannot rest in God. It's impossible to be at rest. It's the Mazunga cycle. And the Mazunga cycle brings death to your soul and, I would add, death to your body. How do we get out of this cycle? Well, today I want to just get really practical. How do I rest in God? I'm going to give you three suggestions and encourage you to begin to develop these habits in your life. How do I rest in God? Number one, I take breaks instead of constant busyness. Number two, I reflect on Jesus instead of comparing myself to others. And number three, I listen to God instead of being constantly distracted. All right, take breaks instead of constant busyness. In chapter 11 of Matthew, the passage that I read, Jesus says, I'll give you rest for your souls. But in chapter 12, we discover that Jesus is smashing right through the day of rest. What's that all about? When we look at chapter 12 and verse 11, we find that Jesus is not very happy. The religious leaders of that day had, had tried to trap Jesus. It was the Sabbath. There was a sick guy with a, a wrecked up hand. Jesus wanted to heal this guy. And the Pharisees cared nothing about what gives life and what is right and what is good. They cared only about manipulating situations so that they could stay in control. And Jesus was upset with these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And this is what he says to them. He said... <clears throat> Uh, let's read it off of here. He says, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? And I think Jesus, being Jesus, knew that he was probably looking at one person in particular who just the week previous had pulled that sheep out. Like, he knew that, right? So he's not just speaking in hypotheticals, he's speaking in realities. So he's like, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would, and of course you did. Anyhow, and, and, uh, and how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus heals the man, and then they go out and try to plan how to kill Jesus. Now, some people would look at this passage, and they would say, well, Jesus is clearly anti-Sabbath here. But Jesus is not anti-Sabbath. He's clear about the purpose of Sabbath. It's meant to be a time of life-giving, and the Pharisees had turned it into a holiness competition. Your worth was based on what you didn't do. It was hard work not working. And this spun everyone there into the Mazunga time, uh, cycle. N no time, right? No time to help people or to give what gives life. Well, at least I'm better than you. I'm better than you, Jesus, at keeping the Sabbath. 
And then the apathy manifests itself with secret Sabbath breakers. It's all about not getting caught. And the whole point is missed and no rest in any of this. And Jesus points this out. Jesus says, enough, stop. Sabbath rest is meant for doing what gives life. You know what? It's good to be busy. We need to be busy. We, we, we need to do a lot of things, but we also need to take breaks from our busyness so that we can do what gives us life. Mark Buchanan, in his great book, The Rest of God, makes a couple of statements on this. I just want to share them with you. The oughts go into the salt mine and you go out dancing on this Sabbath day. It's the one day when the only thing you must do is not do the things you must You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on. Toss away the have-tos and lay hold of the get-tos. If it smells like an ought, don't. That's great. You guys have heard of the Protestant Reformation? Anybody? (laughs) I I did this... uh, this sermon at, at our little church gathering a couple of weeks ago, and there's, there's all sorts of people that come, right? Uh, and, and there's some Catholics that are coming, and I'm like, anybody hear the Protestant Reformation? And my Catholic friend was like, yeah. <laughs> so if you're a Catholic here and you're upset, I, it's, I, I understand. <laughs> so anyway, do you know who these guys are? Anybody know? A little louder. Martin Luther and extra points if you know the other guy. It's not John Calvin, but that's a good guess. It's Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon. uh, uh, Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon were, were partners, right? They worked together. Philip was sort of Luther's understudy. And uh, Philip was, was really into getting stuff done, really into getting work done. And one day, Philip Melanchthon said to Martin Luther, he said, today, you and I shall discuss the governance of the universe. And Luther made this incredible response. He said, no, today, you and I shall go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And so um, uh, this is the attitude of the Sabbath. When you stop and as an act of worship, you say, I'm going fishing. You are entrusting your busy life to God. Practically, you are exercising your faith by saying, everything doesn't depend on me. And that, my friends, is the rest that we're after. You know, I decided I was going to do this. As I'm researching, I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take a rest every day. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a seawall break. And so I'm going to walk down to the seawall. I'm going to grab a, a bench. I'm going to smell the ocean air, pray, maybe read my Bible a little bit, stretch my legs, think, just be silent, meditate. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going, I'm going to do this. And somebody in the neighborhood I know walks along. That's the thing about the West End. It's a walking community, and our family has done the best we can to get to know everybody, so it's impossible not to see somebody that we know. And so I'm sitting on the bench. I haven't been there more than five minutes, and along walks this guy that I know. He comes up to me, and he says, what are you doing? I have this panic moment. 
oh dear, what, what am I doing? And so I say, I say well, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm busy working. And, um, you know, my job affords me the privilege of a mobile office. And so I can be busy working <laughs> anywhere, including busily working right here on this park bench. And he says, oh, okay, cool, walks on. As soon as he left, I was just absolutely, totally, utterly convicted. Was I there working? Yes or no? No, I wasn't there working. I was there meditating and resting. I lied. I completely lied to this guy. Oh, I confessed my sin. It was, it was terrible. What was going on? Somehow my value as a human is still connected to what I do. I needed to perform. I needed to be seen as busy, as useful. I didn't want him to think I was lazy. That would make me look bad. Oh, no. I'm in the Mazunga cycle. I'm busy proving my worth by trying to manage someone's perception of me. That is a rotten place to live. There's no rest in this. So I said I was sorry to God. Next day, I'm going to the seawall. I'm going to rest. I'm going to think. I'm going to smell the fresh, clean air. I'm going to listen to God. I go there. Haven't been there more than five minutes. This couple comes by. What are you doing? Okay. Okay. I pause for a second. I say, well... Actually, I believe that it's really important for me to take time out every day just to think and to listen and to pray, maybe even read my Bible, stretch my limbs, and just, just be quiet. They looked at me. They said, that's awesome. Everyone should do that. And I'm like... Yeah, right on. And this is a dear couple that, that, are, that are far from Jesus that we've developed a friendship with. And just this, this past week, she pulled me aside and said, can we get together for dinner? I want to talk, talk more with you guys. And I think when we obey God and take our breaks and do Sabbath, it's compelling. It's actually a very compelling witness, is it not? It's much better than that other nonsense I was doing the other day. Would you agree to that? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just want to say, when I habitually, daily, weekly, and yearly take breaks from my busyness so that I can do what gives life, I reveal that I am resting in Jesus and not myself. It's these resting habits that lead to flourishing. Norman Wiersba in his book, Living the Sabbath, says this, a day in which we stop doing things that feel obligatory and instead focus on resting and embracing and feasting. It's a day for delight, for sleeping in, for making love, for eating delicious meals and leaving the dishes until tomorrow, for long walks and, re and reading and no chores and no obligations, nothing that seems oriented towards productivity or achievement. You know what, I try to do uh, a Sabbath break every week from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. Uh, that's my break time. What do I do? Ice cream. 
Ice cream and, and Sabbath, synonymous. Playing in the backyards with the kids the other day, uh, the other Saturday, I, I said to, to my oldest daughter, Sierra, I'm like, Sierra, jump onto YouTube's and look up this song, Rolling in the Deep. Have you ever heard that song? Just out of curiosity. I'm behind the times. I just heard about it a few months ago. But I don't know what that woman is singing about, but she can sing. And so I was like, let's just play that song. And, uh, and that's kind of what Sabbath is. And, and, and also, in my, in my house, Tim, what, what, do I, what do I cook on Sabbath? Maple bacon, right? That, that's, that's the thing that I do, maple bacon and Sabbath. And so if you come to my place on Saturday, we're probably not going to do anything special, but I will cook maple bacon for you. And, uh, um, and, and that's what we do. Don't shortchange yourself on the Sabbath. It's one of the most profound and practical ways you can declare your hope in God above your hope in self, and it's the pathway to rest. Take breaks as an act of worship instead of constant busyness. The second thing is um, reflect on Jesus instead of comparing yourself to others. Uh, reflection goes two ways, backwards and forwards. In the Christian story, your ability to win at holiness competitions means nothing. You're not better than anyone. And that's one of the great beauties of being a follower of Jesus. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us are guilty, but yet we're loved and forgiven. I remember when I, when I was dating Miston, uh, I visited her church. I'd never been there before. I didn't know anyone there. And I walk in the door and immediately I'm accosted by a large elderly woman, looked to be about 104 years old or so. I walked in and she, she um, got in my bubble <laughs> and she said, hello, my name is Helga. I am the eldest living member of Bark River Bible Church. And immediately I felt like saying, my liege, I'm at your service. Like, I... <laughs> That's what I felt like. like. Like this woman was something to behold. <laughs> and <laughs> obviously, it was, it's been emblazoned on my mind these, these many years. Um, so why am I telling you this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is no pecking order for Jesus followers. We look at Jesus and our worth is determined because he loves us. Let that thought sink in and change your life. If you're constantly looking side to side, comparing yourself to others, determining if you're better or worse, Instead of looking backwards and forwards at what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do, then you will forever be lost in the Mazunga cycle. You will have no rest. I have a simple counseling technique for you at this point. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Look backward and forward at Jesus and stop looking side to side comparing yourself. Church gatherings exist so we can regularly refocus on Jesus. Communion, which is happening in just a few minutes, is an opportunity for you to tangibly, tangibly with your senses experience what Christ has done for you. 
A huge part of cultivating a spirit of rest in your life is reflecting on Jesus' work on your behalf. Reflection is not just a look back, it's also a look forward as well. We anticipate Jesus' return. I don't think we do this near enough. Massive chunks of the New Testament are dedicated towards this forward look. We have this lovely Italian lady who's a part of our church. Her name is Claudia. She is stereotypically Italian, right? Mamma mia, all these dramatic gestures. We went out for lunch with her the other day, and she, got, she gets this coconut cream pie. She sits down with this coconut cream pie in the middle of this restaurant, and she, and she says, I love this so much. It makes me so happy. She's eating coconut cream pie. She's in love with coconut cream pie. And I was thinking, you know what we should do as Christian people? We should start thinking in terms of how much more. And so I was just thinking about that. And I'm like, she really loves this pie. How much more will we be experiencing love when Jesus comes back? How much more? You know, my son, uh, Darby and I, we were, we were in, our, in our house and boom, bam, we hear this thump. We look out is a dead bird fallen on the, fallen on the ground. And uh, Darby, my eight-year-old son, says, Dad, we need to pray that God will raise this bird from the dead. <laughs> so I'm holding it in my hand. I'm like, um, <laughs> son, let's pray. So we prayed that God would raise this bird from the dead. The bird did not rise. I said, son, Maybe the bird needs a little time. Let's put it up in the let's put it up in the tree. Hang it over in the like that. Hang it over in the tree. And I said, when you come back from school, maybe it'll be alive. We got back from school, it ain't alive. It's still dead. And I sat down with my son and I said, you know, how much more wonderful is heaven gonna be? We don't have to experience this kind of death anymore. And if C.S. Lewis is right, there will be birds in heaven and we can talk to them. And that will be even better. How much more? I really feel like, like this is your homework assignment this week. Ten times this week, use that phrase, how much more, as an anticipatory forward look to what will be one day. It's a massive part of what it means to be a Christian person. So when Jesus is our focus, we are unable to have thoughts of superiority. Pride melts away into thankfulness and joy, which is at the heart of Sabbath rest. It's impossible to rest in God when you have an inflated view of yourself. Friends, turn to Jesus. The final point that I want to make is listen to God instead of being constantly distracted. Listen to God instead of being constantly distracted. This verse here, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You know what that verse means? It means to put an end to your activity, to stop. Mark Buchanan puts it this way. He says, Indeed, the essence of Sabbath heart is paying attention. It's being fully present, wholly awake. Uh, the distractions of this world don't give us the rest God has for us. They simply make us apathetic. I believe we fall into apathy inadvertently because we're just too busy doing nothing of consequence that we have no time to care. So I'm going to say it. Put the phone away. Steal yourself against distraction. 
so that you can listen and hear God. Make time so that you can look around and feel the wonder of his creation. Pause so you can reawaken yourself to live with curiosity and hunger and wonder. Don't let the constant distractions of the world, the beeps, the buzzes, the games, the social media, the bombardment of advertising, the shiny things, the hype, the Hollywood, the mental junk food rob you of your life. Regularly, go for a prayer walk, but instead of talking, just listen. Regularly, find a quiet spot and say, God, what is it? Make time to listen to God, to see the world as it really is, to be silent. I wonder how many of us would have noticed the woman at the well in that story. You know where Jesus gave her the water of life? You know that story in the book of John? I wonder how many of us would have even noticed her. Imagine Jesus hanging out at the well, tweeting. Here's Jesus. He says, Samaria, dusty, hot place. Need better systems for getting water. Hashtag, get better infrastructure. The woman walks right on by, an opportunity to give life gone forever. I believe in our distracted state, this would have been many of us. Jesus was fully aware, fully present. Look around your neighborhood. What do you see? What will bring life? God, who do you want me to help today? God, what do you want me to know today? How can we expect to rest in Jesus if we don't take the time to listen to what he might be saying to us? I'm almost finished here. What does it mean to rest in God? Trust that you are forgiven in love. What keeps me uh, from rest? It's the Mazunga cycle where you've got no time, you've got pride, you're better, you're apathetic, I don't care. There's no rest in any of that. How do we get out of that Mazunga cycle? We take breaks instead of constant busyness. We reflect on Jesus instead of comparing ourselves to others and we listen to God instead of being constantly distracted. I'm gonna pray and turn it over. God, thank you for your word and thank you for how you're teaching us and thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. I, I know I stumble and, and fall all the time in the Mazunga cycle. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm proud and I am busy and sometimes I just simply don't care and I know that's probably true of all of us. But I pray, God, that you would help us to break out of that Mzunga cycle by entrusting ourselves to you and resting in you, Jesus, and taking these practical helps to build the habits to make sure that we're people that rest in you and not trust ourselves. Amen.